Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Schools. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher, as long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. Good evening, and I'm joined this evening by Renee Bowie from Bloom KKCA Academy. Good evening, Renee. Good evening, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. So tell us more about Bloom KKCA. And just before you do, I just want to prefix this. I mean, we're seeing quite a number of new schools starting up in recent years, even this year. So it's so important that schools differentiate themselves from one another. So for those of you who are listening, if you've listened in, you're obviously slightly curious. And Bloom is very much a school with a difference. Um, So perhaps, Renee, you could highlight what those differences are. Sure, let's dive right in. So we're beginning with a primary school, which we're launching this September 2021, and it will be a bilingual school of innovation. And we're also planning on building the secondary and opening within the next few years as well. So it will be a grade one through grade 12 school. And I think the fact that it is bilingual is already one way in which we are different from many other schools. And by bilingual, I'm referring to English and Putonghua Mandarin. In addition to that, we're a school of innovation that uses pedagogy that is progressive. And when we say innovation, that term is another one of those words that many schools these days are embracing, which is great to see. But I think that defining it and making it concrete is hopefully what we'll be able to do in this conversation. And to me, I think that innovation is about solving new problems that we face and adapting to the way the world is changing and looking at things in a new way. And in doing that, we often have to also borrow from the past. So it isn't always just about embracing everything new and novel, but also building upon the best of classical education. So you will see people in our team who are very well versed in classical education, who have come from very established schools and understand what is working in those schools. So as we innovate, we're actually trying to think, well, what is the leading edge where we should be innovating? And what is wonderful and working in traditional models that we should be preserving? And project-based learning is one of the approaches that we adopt among several different things that we do differently, and a great emphasis on social-emotional learning and through positive education. So I think that's, if, if I can just set the stage that way, those are the main areas in which we focus our creative energies. Sure, there's a lot to unpack there. So bilingual school of innovation. We'll get to the bilingual part maybe later. I think the more interesting sure. part is innovation. And um, I know that you know you, you are obviously also, you're not starting a school from zero. So I think it'd be interesting if you could just explain a little bit about your background and, you know, your experience with with the existing Hong Kong schools and why you thought it was now was the right time to open a new school of innovation. Absolutely. So I've been in education for over 15 years, 17 years now. I've taught in IB schools, in local schools. I also used to teach in schools in the United States. And I've studied in different countries, including Hong Kong, US, UK, and Japan. And so I've been exposed to different models. But in addition to teaching in traditional schools, I also seven years ago founded an educational organization, K through 12 education organization called Baker and Bloom. And I think building this school is really a culmination of several things, one of which is running and starting Baker and Bloom and getting to work with many different 
students from different schools. And the second is my work with my husband and his family started, which is Cocoon Foundation, which is a nonprofit focused on entrepreneurship education. And I think it's the largest nonprofit effort to do that in the past in Hong Kong right now. And we're working with over 40 schools with 8,000 secondary students there. And finally, I've been working on the Harvard Book Prize for the past six years. I chaired it for four years and I'm still on the committee, very active there. And there's a program and a scholarship mentorship program there where we get to work with over 240 secondary schools in Hong Kong each year and get to meet with students and read their application essays. So this is a program to send students abroad to the Harvard Summer School, but also there's an essay prize and to mentor young people. So that gives me a broader exposure to school system in Hong Kong, many different types of schools and different types of people, young people in Hong Kong. And the entrepreneurship education part with Cocoon, we actually run workshops within schools, design thinking workshops. We get entrepreneurs, to local entrepreneurs, as well as people who have global backgrounds to speak to students, run corporate challenge. We're doing one just this week with Coca-Cola. We've done them with IKEA and we do job shadowing and internships and really push young people to think about ways to solve problems and not just like run a startup or you know start a business, but to think about how you can add value. And I think going back to building this school after running Baker and Bloom for the past seven years, actually th- starting three years ago, I began to notice a lot of recurring patterns in, in students. So Baker and Bloom, just to clarify, it's an after-school education center, and we focus on creative literacy. So we do that through academic ways as well as more creative ways. So creative writing, public speaking, but also a lot of project-based learning. And um, we do test prep as well, and we do admissions. But I think that broad exposure made me understand that even in very successful schools that people really, you know, work very hard to get into, there are many problems in terms of the learning and the restrictions that students and teachers face. Because I think that you know, I'm very mindful that having worked in these schools myself and, you know, I have children myself, it's nobody's fault in a way. But and a lot of times we are all trying to work with the parameters that we've, we're given precisely because I felt like when I was teaching in a school, I could do great things in the classroom, like, you know, run a medieval simulation, a renaissance fair, publish really creative poetry. But that's sort of within a classroom level of innovation. And with Baker and Bloom, we were able to cut across every discipline. And, you know, when we're teaching literature, we can make connections between history and art and religion. And we can use very contemporary topical texts and what's happening in the news. And there's like a lot of autonomy and freedom. But at the same time, we're working outside of the school system. And the main course and the main core experience of most children is really going to school. So I felt that as an educator, I also have the responsibility to try to do something about that core experience. And I really felt compelled to. And I could see many interesting things being tried across different schools, but not all of it put together in a coherent, innovative model. So I think maybe that's what's different about our school. We're not just incorporating one or two new programs and plugging it into a system, but rather reimagining what school can look like, what the timetable can look like, what the content can look like, how we teach, what the furniture looks like. So yeah, sorry, that was a rather long answer, but I wanted to share a little bit about my own journey and uh, what we're trying to do here. Sure, sure. I mean, we can clearly see that you're passionate about this. I just want to clarify, because of course, I'm a parent too. And uh, just for those parents listening, I mean, isn't that what the IB framework can do, you know, to, to some more 
you know, forward thinking educators within the IB framework, there's lots of freedom and room for innovation. Is there, is there not? Yes, so I taught MYP and diploma program and I've worked at Baker and Bloom. We have many teachers who've taught IB as well and PYP too. And I think I was initially very drawn to the IB as a teacher and I chose to teach at an IB school to be trained that way because I really like in particular the holistic emphasis of IB and the intercultural understanding, which are core to its philosophy. And I think when we use the term IB, it actually stretches across 12 years. Right. So PYP is a very different program from MYP, the middle year programs, which is also very different from the diploma program. And I think that our school is not an IB school, meaning our exit qualification. We use A levels and advanced placement to give our students more options in terms of where they can apply to for university as well as flexibility that IB does not offer. So for example, if we're talking about the lower years, there is a lot of freedom, I think, and the PYP uses a lot of inquiry-driven methods that we also use. And I really like the cross-disciplinary approach. So we definitely learn a lot from PYP. And it isn't to say that what we're doing might not align very well with what they're doing in the PYP program. But we're actually also adding many elements and topics that we feel are very relevant and future facing. And at the same time, moving towards the middle year program, there are also specific disciplines, assessment frameworks that you have to use. And I feel that sometimes as a teacher planning, there's a huge burden when you have to go through all those assessment frameworks before you can think about, well, what's the content I'm supposed to teach? Which standards am I going to use? then align it with the IB assessment framework. There's a lot of planning that an individual teacher needs to do. And I feel that sometimes there is a huge variance across IB schools in terms of what that ends up looking like. Uh, and when you get a great team of teachers working together collaboratively across disciplines, it does look great. But the reality is sometimes schools don't give teachers a lot of time to do that cross-subject, cross-disciplinary work. And that's one thing that our school does. We have a half day where students will have options, very rich options in terms of enrichment, sports, music, and STEM education. But teachers will always have time to collaborate and to plan across grade levels and across subjects. So I think that's something I learned from visiting over 30 innovative schools from around the world. And whenever I visit a school, I talk to the principal or the people who are run, the directors of that building and talk about how they manage their teams and what allows them to do the wonderful project-based learning or whatever approach they use that they find so exciting. And inevitably, timetabling comes up. And I was quite intrigued by that because, of course, as a teacher, I'm not really in charge of timetabling. But I realized that sometimes the leaders of the school believe in it. But maybe by the time they join the school, the timetabling, the scheduling has been decided. And often it takes even years to come up with a timetable blocking system that everybody agrees with. So it's really hard to make some of these reforms, even if you're a great visionary principal stepping in or a teacher who wants to collaborate, but you can't get all the right department heads together. Um, and then when we get to the diploma level, there's even more rigidity to what is required. And I do use that word with you know some hesitation because I don't want to imply that there's no room for choice. But I do think that, for example, I was just talking to a parent today who has a child who wants to do bioengineering, and we were discussing course options in an IB school. And it's very hard to double up on chemistry, on physics, on computer science, well, triple, I guess. Whereas even in the A-levels, you can do that and do math, which are four subjects that if you are to do bioengineering, you would want 
And it's much easier to do that with AP and A levels. So while I truly appreciate the liberal arts grounding that an IB secondary education provides, I think it may not be for everyone. And if we're talking about being future ready, depth is also important. We are looking at a world that demands people to look T-shaped, right? To have that range and also have that depth. And I think IB does a great job with that scope, that range. And I feel sometimes you can sort of do that before the final two years and give students a little more room to specialize in those last two years. So those are just some of the things. I mean, we could get into more specifics, but hopefully that's a start. That's a lot. And we talked yesterday as well. So, so there's, I've got pages and pages of notes. I would like to pick up on a lot of what you've said. Let's go to the team, because it's interesting what you say. I mean, we work with schools in Hong Kong. Most of them are rather large. Now, now you're aiming to grow a school, obviously, from not from absolutely zero, but from small beginnings. And you've been putting a team together and you talked about how the leadership and we absolutely believe in this as well, how it all flows down from the top. So maybe you could just share a little bit about who who is at the top, including yourself and, and how. Yes. Um, Yeah, the team. We have a great team. And honestly, I think that's probably the most confidence instilling part of what we're doing. Our STEM program director, Ms. May Chen, has been teaching at Baker and Bloom for the past five years. So we've also been working together already, you know, over the past few years. She's a former NASA engineer, a Lockheed Martin engineer, who also has experience in other companies like Microsoft in the Silicon Valley. So she's really coming into education from an industry perspective. And she also in Hong Kong initially was an entrepreneur and built a very successful business um, before joining uh, us in Baker and Bloom. Her father was an engineer, her mother was a teacher. So she's sort of a perfect blend of the two. And we have Miss Rebecca Bush, who currently runs our pilot program at Baker and Bloom. She runs also the primary division of Baker and Bloom. And she is one of three registered reading specialists in Hong Kong with experience working with kids with dyslexia and other uh, learning needs. And she also has taught at various international schools in Hong Kong herself and is a very experienced educator in bilingual uh, schools, uh, having extensive experience in Latin America. Her degree is actually in Iberian studies, so she's trilingual herself. Everyone on the team is at least bilingual, not multilingual. And we also have Chinese teachers who all have masters in education in teaching Chinese either as a first language or a second language. That's very important to me that we have very qualified teachers in every subject and specialty and experience in that, uh, bringing that depth. We have a wonderful director of innovation who has experience working in maker spaces and also in art education. So I think that's going to shape our ECS curriculum. Our ECS curriculum is our explore, create, and share uh, what we call ECS, which is the project-based learning curriculum. Okay, so it's, it's integrated into, curriculum. into the curriculum. Yes, it's part of okay. the day, the weekly curriculum. Okay. Um, just just and, clarify for us yeah. uh, what the director of innovation does, because that's not, sure. not a title that we're used to seeing in a school. Yeah. So it's actually a very comprehensive role, and it includes training all our teachers in project-based learning. Because this is not something that every teacher has experience in. And it's very different. I do want to say project-based learning has roots that go very deep, 
John Dewey was around one of the first proponents of what we now call project-based education was around a century ago, learning by doing one of his philosophies. But I think what it has evolved to be and what we now call PBL is learning through making projects, doing projects is quite different from having a project at the end tagged on the end of a unit. So let's say we learn a lot of facts about the industrial revolution. We watch videos, your quiz, you're tested on it, the content. And at the end, you do a project. That is a little bit different from starting with a driving question. And, you know, the question might be, if you're doing the industrial revolution, like what is human progress? And that's a much broader question. So with that in mind, children can actually develop projects that are different from one another. So there's that element of choice and options in, in the process of PBL. And then what are what is the whole process of identifying a problem within that bigger question that you want to work on, creating an exploration or a project, a research paper, perhaps, or uh, it could be an actual product. In ECS, we really focus on creating products of change. So for our school mission is to cultivate compassionate creators and social innovators. And that's why we don't just want them to create a beautiful, let's say, a model of a what a factory used to look like during the Industrial Revolution. But actually, how is this product relevant to today? What type of change might it create or spark? Instead, we'd really like them to form connection with uh, the society and the neighborhood around them, or even just the school community or the global community. So I think that's something that's quite special about our school as well. And uh, going back to the team, though, we also have the director of innovation. So connecting us to a network of innovative schools is something that she will be in charge of. She actually herself is already a leader in this field and does a lot of conferences, presentations, knows a lot of people in the field. They also train teachers to use the maker space. You know, if you teach English language like myself, you may not know how to use a laser cutter or 3D printer. You may not even see the relevance of that to teaching your subject. But I think what the director of innovation is doing is to get the teachers to start thinking, well, what about your field might be enhanced in terms of being more innovative, connecting it to the real world? What are digital tools that might help you do that? And so in many ways, it's in-house professional development for the teachers to have this person. Uh, I suppose you could say that even just having someone like her and also the director of STEM, May, from the very start, as we build our curriculum now before our school starts and pilot it with actual students, we are very different. We're not taking a curriculum and making little modifications and like, oh, we could do a little bit of STEM here and a little bit of STEM there. But we're thinking, as May likes to say, it's not a Band-Aid solution, but we're building the skeleton right from inside out. There is steam integrated and creativity injected into every unit. Okay. So I, I want yes, to... wonderful team working closely together. Yeah, we have we have a few questions and I want to take, um, Tiffany has quite a number of questions. Thank you, Tiffany. But I want to take one of her questions because I think it's this is a, a good point. Everything that you're saying so, kind of makes sense. I think instinctively as parents, like we feel, uh, I, at least I do, like that what you're saying makes sense. But I wonder if we can sort of make that more concrete. And um, sure. so Tiffany's asked, and I think it's a really good question. Could you sort of describe what would a typical day be like for, say, a, a six-year-old? Yes. So we begin the day with campfire. And campfire is another distinctive feature of our school. We teach a positive education curriculum through campfire, which is also done in both English and Chinese. The main curriculum comes from the Institute of Positive Education, which is based in Geelong Grammar School in Australia, one of the oldest boarding schools in Australia. 
And we also add the Chinese curriculum, which incorporates a lot of traditional Chinese virtues and values. And campfire is done not just in the opening of the day, but in the close of the day as well. After campfire, you'll have your three core subjects of primary school, namely literacy and numeracy. And literacy we do in Chinese and English language arts uh, and math class. You get that every day. And we have long blocks, close to an hour, sometimes a little longer, in fact. And in between those classes, there's also recess and breaks, of course. Actually, sorry, I should say that before Campfire, we have morning routines. Just to get kids, it might be some warm-up exercises. It might be even just getting them to line up and put their bags in the right place and all of that in the cubbies. After that, we do the Campfire, which has also like skits and reading and role-playing, all of that, to get their brains warmed up and get the community gathered. In many ways, that's like what circle time is in kindergarten. Very easy to understand. But actually, you don't do that a lot in primary school. And for building a community and the social emotional learning, that's very important. That's where you resolve maybe issues, conflict between kids or things they're struggling with as a class and making connections about social emotional growth. And then we move into the academic side. And then we also have art class. Uh, and within arts, we have visual arts and music which in grade one and two are taught in Chinese, and then grade three onwards is taught in English. And then we have PE, which again, grade one and two is also taught in Chinese. And then we also twice a week have the project-based learning classes. And every week, and this is very special, every single week we have a field trip. So you go on, you get on a bus, you go out there for at least three hours, and it might be visiting a museum. I can give you an example of one of the recent field trips all the students went to the Bank of China. And what they were doing was holding an SCMP article where there was a wild boar in the fountain of the Bank of China. Very mysterious because an ur- you know, you, these wild boars in this very urban environment. And so it was, they were pig detectives. They were there to figure out what the pigs were doing in the fountain. But of course, we also use things like visible thinking, routines like see, think, wonder. First, they looked at the image. They came up with their own reasons for why that might be happening, sort of a hypothesis. And then they went there and they were holding the image. And at first they were actually in the wrong fountain. But because they looked very carefully at the reflection on the side of the fountain, the rock, which was glistening with water, they saw the image of the Murray house, Murray building. So they then realized they were in the wrong place. And that applied, like they were learning about reflections in math too. So the teacher pointed that out. And then they navigated and found the actual exact location the photo was taken. Um, And they began to think, where could the pigs have come from? Then they contacted the security guard and the children, it was all led by the children. They asked where the guards, where these pigs came from. They didn't know. And they said, maybe botanical gardens across the street. And so off they went to the botanical gardens and they, the teachers asked them, like, how would you find out where the pigs came from? So they, again, came up with the hypothesis, like maybe we could ask people who go to the park a lot. And someone came up with the idea of asking the park rangers. So they identified the office, the park office, and found two people who only spoke Chinese and they communicated with them. And they found out that it actually came from the peak. The pigs probably, they speculated, came down, not from mid-levels, but from the peak. And they probably entered through the fence and there was an old fence, a new fence. So they learned about, they walked the perimeter of the park. You know, they were also learning about that perimeters and found some holes in the old fence, you know, the size of which would allow a pig to go through. So anyways, the next week they went to the peak. They took the peak tram, the next field trip, they went up. 
they looked around at the habitat and they could look down into the city and see how integrated nature is with our urban environment in Hong Kong. So um, because the whole unit is actually was actually on natural habitat and how their urban habitats for for wild creatures as well. And then they also actually called the Department of Fisheries and Agriculture and found that like 10 years ago, two case officers culling the boars. And today there are hundred of them. So they learned about the statistics, the data behind what's going on with the wild boars. Anyways, just to bring it back, field trips, that's something they would experience on a weekly basis, not just in English, but in Chinese as well. And what else is there every week? So the half day I mentioned, and after school, school ends around 3.30, and some students, if they wish, can stay behind, and we have a rich offering of enrichment activities, everything from chess, international chess, to Chinese ko, wei qi, so go, and uh, wushu, and uh, also different like basketball, different types of sports and musical instruments, calligraphy. So lots of things to do after school as well. So it's five days. We don't have Saturdays, except there is a forest adventure program on Saturday, should you choose to join that. And oh, I should mention forest education is part of our school too. So we, we don't have time trips, to mention everything. Okay, let's not, let's not get into that. Sure. Project-based. Um, there is so much. I wanted to get on to, if I can, um, just a little segment at the end. We are running out of time. I want to get to ask you a little bit about the wellbeing program, um, Renee. But just before we do, sure. everything that you've described, again, it might seem a little bit abstract to some parents. So it's, I think it's very useful to package that up into a typical P1 day. And yep. then uh, Pauline asks a very good question. You know, does that mean that it's only suitable for certain types of learners? Thank you for your question, Pauline. What's your view on that, Renee? Um, I don't think so, because I think that all children are multi-sensory learners. We also definitely, I, I believe that people have learning preferences. That's something that at Baker and Bloom, we actually help kids discover their learning styles and different preferences. But actually, there's also a lot of research to debunk that whole theory that we only learn in one way. Uh, humans are very adaptable beings. And in fact, as a future-oriented school, we want our kids to be more adaptable. So I think training them to learn in more ways than in a traditional classroom pen and paper type of setting is to their advantage, to their benefit. And we use traditional means as well. We have books, we have textbooks, we have you know whiteboards and all of that. But it's just that we offer even more ways so that not only is that beneficial for people who for whom traditional means may not be the best way to learn, but I think understanding that there is more than one way to learn, to solve problems, is helpful for everyone in training them to think in multiple paths, and which is an important part of being creative, divergent thinking. And also, I think we do emphasize discipline in the classroom. It's not like we want kids to be unruly. That, that doesn't help learning at all. So in fact, our kids are very well behaved. And part of the importance of the positive education is to instill these values so that you do it for the right reasons, not because you're scared of being reprimanded, but because you, can, you have a concern for those around you, because you understand the consequences of your own behavior on others uh, and what self-regulation is too. So I think that's maybe that helps answer that it isn't just for a particular type of child. Although, very quick note, we have learning support. We have a director, Ms. Rebecca Bush will be our director of learning support, which is not something every school has. And her role is to actually help students with individual needs. So they are sometimes pulled out of the classroom. Sometimes she steps into the classroom to work with students one-on-one -on -one or in small groups and to train all our teachers in methods of differentiation. So I think that we also offer this personalization, which is very unique. Good to know. Thank you, Renee. Um, so just to recap, so 
Bloom KKCA Academy opening in the heart of Kowloon in Shepkit May in uh, August this year, 2021. Yes. And Bloom have been posting some answers to questions. And uh, if you would like to, to know more, go and visit the school, then please get in touch with them directly. Otherwise, I would just like to sort of maybe bring this round. I mean, you talked about, it obviously is, sounds super fun. Sounds nothing like when I went to school for pri my <laughs> primary days, but very different from maybe what most children experience in, in a Hong Kong school. And so I think it's probably important to mention at this point, you're not an international school. You welcome children from all backgrounds with all passports. Yes. And that leads me to the next question about well-being. And we talked yesterday about resilience because so many children that we meet nowadays are stressed. Yes. So if children are currently maybe not super happy in their current schooling situation, assuming that they go to school every day, you know, how will you be looking after the, the children's well-being? There are many ways in which we do that. But I think, first of all, to have a homeroom teacher that you trust is very important. And all our homeroom teachers are actually teachers we selected because they care about this. And so I think the fact that our teachers will be receiving training in positive education from the Institute of Positive Education, which embeds these values and the emphasis on personal strengths among the whole community. So it's also about staff relations, right? Like how seeing how adults take care of each other is important and also how adults handle stress. And for example, our teachers will discuss with students if over the weekend something stressful happened to them and how they dealt with it and their the emotions, naming the emotions that they feel and explaining and sharing that in a rather vulnerable way, but in many ways making students feel like this is a safe space to share their anxieties, which they may not be comfortable sharing even with their parents or siblings. And then I think maintaining that positive environment and inclusive environment within the classroom. The very fact that we are an inclusive school, we accept students who have special needs that we can cater to. And also we have financial aid, so we have a diversity in backgrounds. I think that's also very important. It, it sets the tone for the type of school we are. And children are very smart. They pick up on those cues. And also, I think growth mindset, which everybody you know, is beginning to talk about. But really, we've been doing from the from the get go. I was doing it in 2008 when Carol Dweck like, first started publishing her book about that. But I think also with that, what we're trying to say is that it's OK to fail that intelligence is not a fixed quantity, but something that you can grow and embracing risk taking and failure as part the natural part of learning. Teachers fail. Adults fail. We make mistakes. What matters is pick yourself up, reflect on it, admit your mistakes when that happens, but also investigate. Like so very quick example. Some a girl was in our class designing a propeller. It went the wrong way because it actually ripped. And instead of telling to her, well, you didn't do it right. Here's the here's how you fix it. The teacher actually asked, well, why don't you figure out what happened? And so she realized that the vortex changes when there is that cut. And because of that, she started experimenting with different shapes and different designs. And she ended up having the fastest propeller. So I think, you know, that's how the, the way the teachers speak to students is how we address those emotional needs. It's OK. What can you learn? Speaking positively with, to them. And also holding them accountable, like with online learning, there are periods where it's not always live teaching because we don't we want to limit some of the screen time. But at the end of every day, we meet again, just as with the real in-person learning, there's the campfire at the end and we check in on them. Did you finish the work for the day? If you didn't, can you explain why? And I think it's not reprimanding them, but I think holding them responsible and accountable is also important. So that's that's kind of how we do it through personal relationships. Yeah. 
Thank you, Renee. We have covered a lot. I'm mindful that it's it's getting late. How can we get to find out more? We can um, visit. Is your school open for, for visits? Yes, so Baker and Bloom is where we're holding our info sessions and where we're running our classes, which is in Admiralty across from Pacific Place 3. You can find that on our website. The school website is www.bloom.edu.hk. Great, thank you. And we'll post all of those links and we'll be in touch with everybody who registered thank beforehand. Thank you so much, Renee. This has been super fun. And uh, hopefully Wonderful we'll get to see you in real life very soon. Uh, thank yes. you to everybody who was watching this evening and have a good rest of the evening. For now, this is myself, Ruth, from Top Schools. Good night. And thank you to Renee from Bloom KKCA Academy. Thanks, Renee. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free, useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.